All right. Good morning, everyone. Nobody behind the pole this morning, so that's great. Oh, there's Mike over there. Have to uh, have to get my line of sight halfway there. All right. So today um, is going to be somewhat uh, of a look back, uh, somewhat of a look forward, um, somewhat of an introduction to uh, what many people see as a climax passage of Isaiah, and that is Isaiah 53. Uh, we're going to finish up Isaiah 52 and, uh, and, and lead into Isaiah 53, but uh, it's worth... Um, it's worth looking back for a, a couple of reasons. You know, sometimes you stand in line and you feel like you're in a really long line and it always helps you feel better when you look over your shoulder and you can see everybody's behind you. Uh, that makes you feel better. Uh, so we've, we've made some progress here, so it'll be good to look back. Because um, sometimes it is, it is uh, helpful. So this whole section of Isaiah, yeah, I mentioned this to, uh, a week or two ago, but it's worth mentioning again. If you hold your finger in Isaiah 52, all the way back, and I don't remember what week it was, Daddy, but all the way back to Isaiah 40, we saw this, this big theme opened up with this verse, Comfort, O comfort my people, says your God. Speak kindly to Jerusalem. Call out to her that her warfare has ended, her iniquity has been removed, and on down to verse 5, then the glory of the Lord will be revealed. This whole, the whole arc of the story, beginning in chapter 40 there, is we're going to hear words of comfort. We're going to have, have God reveal part of his big plan to us. And, and the motivation behind this revelation is he wants us to feel comforted. He wanted those people to feel comforted. So that's a, a big theme uh, that we've looked at. And then we've seen some of these uh, smaller themes that the God that created the world is powerful enough to take care of Israel. The God who rescued Israel from Egypt is powerful enough to rescue them from the captivity where they are now. The God of Israel has not forgotten his people, nor has he forgotten their promises to his people. Again, this, these are words of, of comfort. And interposed with these sections, we've gotten glimpses of someone called the servant. We talked about that there are these servant songs, these these uh, sections, again, where God gets specific. He's talking in grand scope, and now he's going to focus on the servant. And the first of those sections was in Isaiah 42. And he said, Behold my servant, who I, whom I uphold, my chosen one, in whom my soul delights. I put my spirit upon him. He will bring forth justice to the nations. Big themes. A servant, which we're going to look at again today, bringing justice, setting all things right to the nations. Not just Israel, right? 
And, you know, if, if you were God's chosen people, you were used to, to having God talk to you about his promises to that nation. But here we get this picture. You know, it's going to be bigger than you. It's going to be bigger than you could ever imagine. The second servant song is in Isaiah 49, verses 1 through 7. In verse 6, we have this verse that says, I will also make you a light of the nations so that my salvation may reach to the end of the earth. Yes, there were promises to this nation. But remember, all the way back to the promise that God made Abraham, it's going to be a blessing. You will be a blessing to the whole world. And then in Isaiah 50, verses 4 through 9, we have this third one. Verse 6 says, I gave my back to those who strike me, my cheeks to those who pluck out the beard. I did not cover my face from humiliation and spitting. So here we saw, you'll remember, where we have this picture of a servant who, though being beaten, is the one in charge. The servant is the one who is offering and allowing the beating. The servant is in charge there. So putting all this together, we see that God has revealed himself as a powerful God who has not forgotten his people, who has always been inclined to restore them. He is, he is for us. He is for his people in so many ways. He's inclined to restore them. And... He has a servant who figures very prominently in this plan of restoration and redemption. And the reason for this revelation is so that we can be comforted and can be confident in what's going to happen. So getting closer to where we left off, and last week we saw that there were these three sections all marked by this command to, to wake up. The first one was kind of the people saying, God, wake up. We know you've done some rescue. We want to see some rescue. And then the second one was God saying, you're the ones that need to wake up. You've been getting some of the consequences of your own actions. You've been um, drinking some of this cup of wrath. But then we, we saw that the table was going to turn and and that cup of wrath was going to be handed over to the enemy so that they would really receive the, um, the consequences of what they had coming. And then the final passage, uh, to look back in it, uh, let's see. Famous verse, verse 7. How lovely on the mountains are the feet of him who brings good news. Right? We had this picture of a besieged city waiting for rescue, losing all hope. But now the scouts are coming. Hey, rescue is here. Victory is at hand. Here's great news. The word is coming. We are rescued. This leads us 
to verse 13 of chapter 52. So here we have the opening, verses 13 of chapter 52, going all the way through the end of chapter 3. So there are uh, 15 verses there. Basically, it's, you can divide it into sections of three verses each. All right, so uh, this is a song, three stanzas, you might say, of, of, or five stanzas of three verses each. And we'll get through maybe three verses today, um, and then maybe do half of 53 next week, just depending on how it goes, and then maybe the other half the week after that. We'll see. Uh, we've... We covered a little more ground last week for the luxury of, of kind of slowing down and really dwelling on some of these verses. And if you've been reading ahead, um, these are um, certainly some of the most famous verses in all of the book. Um, people who have counted this, um, say Isaiah 53, is quoted, to, is quoted or alluded to in the New Testament more frequently than any other Old Testament chapter. The index of quotations in the appendix of one particular Greek New Testament gives at least 41 different citations. It says, and this may not even be all of them. So think about that. We're in, now we know the Old Testament is quoted extensively in the New Testament. But the chapter that is quoted the most is the one that we're heading into. And again, the last three verses of 52 are really part of this whole, of this whole section. So let's dive on in. So verse 13. Behold, my servant will prosper. He will be high and lifted up and greatly exalted. Behold, my servant. My servant. We've talked about these servant songs. And now we're we're going to look at it in the, the most depth. And it's worth remembering that Christ came as a servant. Now, a little pop quiz. Here's a famous New Testament passage that talks about uh, Jesus coming as a servant. There may be many, but, but one of the ones I'm thinking of, any, anybody want to take a guess at that? I'll start to give hints. So it's in Paul's epistles. Okay. It's in the pastoral epistles. No, it's not. Uh, I guess this would be the letters to the churches. I guess they're somewhat pastoral epistles. It's in Philippians. Philippians chapter 2. Philippians chapter 2. He's talking about Jesus. And verse 5 says, Have this attitude in yourselves, which also was in Christ Jesus. Verse 6 who although he existed in the form of God, did not regard, regard equality with God a thing to be grasped, but emptied himself, taking the form of a bondservant. He came, left everything that was great, and came as a servant. So here we have this, this picture of, in verse 13 of Isaiah 52, Behold, everybody pay attention, behold, my servant, my servant will prosper. Now, uh, the 
the New American Standard Version that I'm using says prosper. Is that what everybody says? Okay, so there are a couple of different um, wordings. Uh, much of the time, you know, from translation to translation, uh, people talk about the differences, but it's amazing how similar they really are. But this is a passage where there are some different uh, readings. So the New American says, Behold, my servant will prosper. The ESV says, Behold, my servant shall act wisely. And the New King James says, Behold, my servant shall deal prudently. Um, this is... Um, these last two, um, you know, prosper makes it sound just like the servant's going to do well. But these other two translations get a little bit more to the heart of it when it says, my servant shall act wisely, my servant will deal prudently. So here we have um, a picture of a servant who is going to be successful, who is going to be taking action that is wise and is helpful and is prudent. Uh, it's it's for the good of those people. It's not just a general prospering. This is an action toward a group, right? Being dealing prudently. Now, I like this passage, you know, because this fits in a little bit with what Daddy was talking about. There's an uh, an old, uh, originally a radio preacher. Uh, uh, many of you may have heard of. Um, Pastor J. Vernon McGee, great radio pastor years ago, he and um, the founder of the college where um, uh, I went to uh, school, um, my brother and I both met our wives there, and um, we've got JBU, John Brown University connections here in the class, uh, the Deniers and so forth, but um, John Brown uh, Sr., the founder of our college, and J. Vernon McGee were, were buddies. So long after the founder passed away, J. Vernon kept on plugging, and every year, practically, he would come to John Brown University and he would preach uh, a chapel series. And we were there from 1980 through 1985. I'm, I'm sure I got to hear him, if he did come every year, it was almost every year, I, heard, I certainly got to hear him three or four times. He passed away in 1988, so uh, he kept going uh, for a while. But from his commentary, he says, uh, he says this, he says, my friend, and these, this commentary were kind of taken from transcripts of his preaching, so he, he always had this, this, where he would talk about my friend. He said, my friend, somebody will have to uh, travail if you're going to rejoice at a birth, a new birth and a new world. Therefore we have here the suffering of the servant. And he goes into this first verse of, uh, of the passage in verse 13 and he says several of the administrations in Washington over the past few years, now bear in mind this was probably from the late well actually this was probably taken from sermons late 70s early 80s Okay, so at least 30-some years ago, close to 40 years ago, but listen to this. Several of the administrations in Washington over the past few years have used the word prudent to excess. They speak of being prudent in their conduct. There is some question as to whether they were prudent or not. If you think the Democrats have been prudent, ask the Republicans. 
If you think the Republicans have been prudent, ask the Democrats. You will find that nobody has been prudent. Man today has not dealt prudently, but when the Lord Jesus Christ comes, he will deal prudently. That is the picture we have here. So, the point here is that we find out from the very first that the servant is going to deal wise, wisely and successfully. And one commentator makes the point, at the outset, it is necessary to stress the servant's wise dealing, for in the subsequent verses, the servant appears as one whom men regard as punished for his own sins. So the next verses are going to take a turn. Here we have a servant dealing wisely. And we look at the second half of this verse. It says he will be high and lifted up and greatly exalted. High and lifted up and greatly exalted. Um, some commentators have also said that um, that this high and lifted up uh, uh, may talk a little bit about you know the resurrection of Christ, the ascension of Christ, and the fact that Christ is at the right hand of the Father now, um, and that that certainly uh, makes sense there. But now we have a turn in verse fourteen. So now that he's made the point, we're going to win. The servant's going to win. The servant's going to be successful. The servant's going to be very prudent. But it says, just as many were astonished. Now, the, the pronouns here get a little weird. New American says, just as many were astonished at you. And it adds in my people as if it's referring to Israel. Some commentators say it probably means just as many were astonished at him. Uh, talking about Jesus, which kind of reads a little bit, makes a little more sense to me. You were astonished at him. His appearance was more marred than any man. So, what does this mean? We get this contrast. This victory, this, this servant victory that's going to happen, it's not going to be like y'all expect. It's not going to be what you're expecting. You're going to be shocked. It says his appearance was more marred than any man. Commentator clarifies it says this does not mean that his appearance that he appears to be more disfigured than other men, but that his disfigurement was so great that he no longer appeared as a man. He wasn't really recognizable as a man. And we know this, of course, refers to the effects of the beatings and so forth, as we saw earlier that the servant willingly took. Verse 15. Thus he will sprinkle many nations. Thus he will sprinkle many nations. This word sprinkle... Had to, it was a technical term that they used of a priest who was sprinkling the blood on the altar as an indicator of uh, 
the satisfaction of sin as a, a purification rite. That's this sprinkling. So we have this, you know, which we can see through through the the lens of the cross, we can see how this makes sense. It, it may not have really made sense to them at the time, but here we have a servant marred more than any man, beaten, and thus he will sprinkle. And in this way, he can purify. The purification, the sprinkling, was at the hands of a priest. And we hear in Hebrews where it talks about Jesus is our high priest. So, so much theology and doctrine coming together in these little bitty verses. A beaten up servant who can sprinkle, who can purify, who can say is clean, part of this bringing justice and salvation. And who's it going to be for? Many nations. Many nations. Not just a few. The blessing is going to be for many nations. Let's look at the rest. Boy, these minutes fly by. Thus he will sprinkle many nations. Kings will shut their mouths on account of him. Kings will shut their mouths on account of him. For what they had not been told them, for, I'm sorry, for what had not been told them they will see, and what they had not heard they will understand. This is interesting. Kings will shut their mouths on account of him. We heard about all, how many horrible kings there were, right? Just a handful of decent kings. But it's talking about the kings will shut their mouths on account of him. Kings will be in awe. You know, maybe if you were, I guess you could think about it different ways. I, I was thinking if, if you were a good king, a king who was willing to sacrifice for the sake of his own people, And then you see another king, a greater king, a more powerful king who is suffering not just for his own people, but for all the people. Even a good, even a good king couldn't believe that. Even a good king couldn't believe that you would do this for your enemies, right? Kings will shut their mouth on account. They, they, they will be in awe. They, and interesting, these kings, they're of the nations, right? These are Gentiles. You know, it was, Paul talks about the mystery of the gospel was that it wasn't just for the Jews. Even hundreds of years later, as Paul tried to explain this, it was still freaking people out. You mean this whole, all this Jew stuff wasn't just for the Jews after all? No. 
they were his chosen people, that's how the, the world was going to be blessed, but it wasn't just for them. Paul alludes to this verse, if you turn quickly over to Romans, and I don't know the page number, but in Romans chapter 15, we have one of these areas where this verse is quoted, Romans 15, beginning in verse 20. Paul says, And thus I aspired to preach the gospel, not where Christ was already named, that I might not build upon another man's foundation, but, as it is written, they who had no news of him shall see, they who have not heard shall understand. That's the verse that he's quoting. So Paul saw in his own preaching that he was a fulfillment of what was talked about in Isaiah 53:15. Now, there's going to be a day right when everybody sees it, right? There's going to be a day when everyone gets it so to speak. Everyone will understand, uh, and that's going to be when Christ comes back, of course. That's ultimately when everybody will see what's going to happen. That's the ultimate understanding. All right, let me just wrap up this section with a, a couple of um, a couple of quotes. One commentator wraps this up and says, the fourth and final servant song frequently quoted in the New Testament describes the Messiah. Isaiah finally explains how the Holy One can bless sinful people. All the promise of God will come true for them because the suffering and the triumphant servant removes their guilt before God by his sacrifice. That's it in a nutshell. Look at everything we see in here. We see a servant who ultimately is going to be high and lifted up, but before that is going to be marred up, beaten up, and... Because of that beating, he will be able to sprinkle many nations for purification, for cleansing, and the world's going to know about it. The world's going to recognize it. The, the leaders of the world even are going to be in awe because they will finally, finally get it. Another says, Most of this vivid passage concerns the suffering and rejection of the servant, but the main point is that his suffering will lead to exaltation and glory. True, the suffering is important, but his glory, which will be revealed, is equally important, for it will show that the servant did the will of God voluntarily. Of course, that's true. All right, that's our introduction, and we'll pick up next week. Any thoughts about this so far? There's a lot in just a few verses, right? All right. Gosh. Well, let's close. Father, we thank you. We thank you about what we can learn about us, and that is that, um, that we need cleansing. We need that purification. And what we learn about Jesus is that he is that servant who as he took the beatings, 
not just from those people, but in effect, he took the beatings from all of us and for all of us so that we could be cleansed. And we thank you for your word. We pray that you'd help us to to grasp onto this this part of the good news story and that we could also uh, share it wisely, share it prudently, and to, um, to continue to take it to heart. Father, we do thank you for the, the eyes that you've given us to see places in the world where things aren't right. And we pray that we would look more and more to you far above our local politics, far above our national politics and the things in the world that we would look to you as a source of our healing. In Jesus' name, amen.